It's the reading is from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Matthew 6, verse 5, page 970 in the Church Bible. And this is Jesus talking. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. We want to see you. Amen. Amen. Well, in the series on the Sermon on the Mount, um, you'll have noticed from our reading that we come to a very familiar passage um, because it contains the Lord's Prayer, the most familiar prayers um, to all of us in the Christian church, sits right in the very middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you may already be aware that uh, Matthew, in writing his gospel, is writing with a particular focus um, on the Jews. Um, all of the disciples were Jews, and in teaching them about prayer, um, we need to recognize that the Jews were not short on prayer. Um, every Jew 
prayed the Shema. Three short passages um, of scripture that were recited every morning and every evening. Um, They also prayed the 18. Um, And these were 18 short prayers that are still used in synagogues to this day. Um, In fact, I think they're 19 um, these days. That's inflation for you. But um, 18 prayers still used um, in synagogues. There were also prayers that could be used for pretty much every occasion. Um, Before and after every meal, sounds good, Um, but also on seeing a new moon, Um, on seeing a comet, on seeing rain, on seeing the sea, even um, using new furniture. I can't tell you what the prayer is, but apparently there is one that you can pray on using new furniture. Um, I don't know whether it begins with the words Ikea. Also, very long prayers. There was something about showing how devout you were by your long prayers. And the devout you would pray, in addition to everything that we've mentioned already, three times a day, morning, Um, at noon and in the evening. And the times for that, no matter where you were, you would stop and you would pray. And hence, this backdrop that Jesus um, sets out here that would be very familiar to people of those who wanted to be seen as devout, standing even on street corners. Whoops, that's the time, it's time for my prayer. Um, And praying. And what Jesus picks up here is two examples of how not to pray and goes on to show two examples of how to pray, how not to pray. And you can find this if you still have your finger in the passage. He says, when you pray, this is page 970, looking in verse 5 now, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. There's something about human nature, isn't there, that means that we don't act in the same way when we're with other people, when we can be seen. Um, you've only got to think, what do you, what's the first thing you do when you fall over and you get up and you have a quick look around to see, did anybody see Um, There's a remarkable book written by a man called Irving Goffman. And if you've ever studied sociology, you'd probably be familiar with this because it's one of the seminal texts, and it's called The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life. It picks up a theme, I guess, that many of us will know, um, that famous quote from Shakespeare, All the World's a Stage. And he talks about the fact that the world a lot of the time is like a stage for us. And we're thinking, how is this going down? How are people reacting? If I noticed that you were all sort of getting up and leaving or snoring, I'd need to respond to what was happening. Um, Please don't do either of those. Um, That'd be most disconcerting. But there's a lovely quotation he gives in his book um, of a chap called Preedy. And this chap is on holiday He's gone on holiday to Spain, and um, on his vacation, 
uh, the, the quote goes like this. He said, but in any case, he took care to avoid catching anyone's eye. First of all, he had to make it clear to those potential companions of his that they were of no concern to him whatsoever. He stared through them, around them, over them, eyes lost in space. The beach might have been empty. If by chance a ball was thrown his way, he looked surprised, then let a smile of amusement lighten his face. Kindly, Preedy. Looked around, dazed to see that there were people on the beach, tossed it back with a smile to himself, not a smile at them, and then resumed carelessly his nonchalant survey of space. But it was time to institute a little parade, the parade of the ideal Preedy. By devious handlings, he gave any who wanted to see a chance to look at the title of his book, a Spanish translation of Homer, and then gathered together his beach wrap and bag into a neat sand-resistant pile, methodical and sensible Preedy, rose slowly to stretch at ease his huge frame, big cat Preedy, and tossed aside his sandals, carefree Preedy after all. It's very easy to laugh, isn't it, at the poser, um, somebody who's acting out. But Jesus understands so well what a human nature is like. But if we're praying, if we're doing anything in front of other people, there's a tendency to put on an act, to put on our best show, to put on our best clothes, to use better words than we would normally use, or worse, maybe. But what Jesus says is, he said, when you pray, go into your room. This is verse 6. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In the secret place, alone with God, there's no opportunity or need for showboating. There's no one to impress. And the one that you may wish to impress is not impressed by the things that impress mankind. It's a place of vulnerability. It's a place of honesty. It's the place where we can genuinely do business with God. How not to pray, how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray to your Father who is unseen, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What are the rewards? What are the rewards that Jesus is speaking about? Well, first of all, as in any relationship, when you spend time with somebody alone. There's no need for showboating and no need for play-acting. Then you begin to know them more deeply and intimately. So the first reward is that we get to know God, not just to get to know about God. The second thing is that that relationship with God, as it deepens, will change us and will transform us. Have a look in Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're looking here on page 1100 and 
60. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. It says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we're in the presence of God, when we do business with God, when we worship God, with all other things put aside, there is the opportunity that God has to begin to transform us and to make us more and more into the image of his Son. And thirdly, it changes our relationships with other people and with the world. I loved the um, wristband our boys came back from one of the Christian camps with that said, push, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. And I liked the fact that it was not prescriptive. It's not telling God what to do. It's very difficult sometimes, isn't it? Perhaps particularly for us as individuals and perhaps as a church at this time to hold on to the fact that God knows best. It's difficult sometimes to hold on to that. But the reward is that as we know God more deeply and intimately in the secret place, we are transformed. Our relationships are transformed. And so is our world. We find in verse 7, Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Um, when I first became a Christian, um, I was so utterly polaxed, I didn't really know what had happened to me. And a friend of mine who did um, said, You need to start coming to church. So I went to church with him. I won't tell you what the church was, um, but in this particular church, there were three characteristics of the prayer that was used. One, it was extempore prayer. In other words, you didn't read the prayers from a book. You made them up as you went along. Secondly, the prayers were long. The longer the better. And thirdly, for some reason that I haven't quite worked out even to this day, they used the language of the King James Bible. And so for the first two years that I went to this church, I didn't dare to pray because it sounded so incredibly complicated. And you could sort of sense that people were on the edge of their seat waiting to see where the people matched the these and thous correctly. And sometimes somebody would make a slip until eventually, after about two years, I said my first prayer. I thought, hey, get me. How good am I? I've been, I've been able to pray. I'm not sure that God was particularly impressed with my long prayer full of these and thous. Um, and certainly, it wasn't something that I rushed to do again because the strain of it was quite great. <laughs> But there's something about our prayer to God that can so easily turn into either the kind of prayer that needs fancy words and that needs great liturgical accuracy and that is there to impress people, 
or the prayer that comes when we're alone with God and we speak from the depths of our heart with our faces unveiled with nobody to impress that's not to say that there are not prayers of great beauty that can capture all of our thoughts and capture very um, important truths in a way that would be very difficult to do and that people have thought and distilled carefully before God and they're great value but God, God is talking here Jesus is talking here about the time that we're alone with God where we can get to know him and through that process we can be changed there's something also about praying with many words that how should I put this it almost sees God as a sort of incompetent middle manager as if if you don't tell him everything he might forget something and if you don't give him great detail about what needs to be done he'll forget a part of it can I say God is not the God of the small print God is not looking for a get-out clause he's not like the small print where somebody says oh actually if you look at the thing you signed and subparagraph 3b on page 17 I think you'll find that we don't have to pay up here there's a fantastic prayer that Nicky Gumbel quotes in um, questions of life which is the book that goes along with the Alpha course and if this isn't an example of a prayer telling God exactly what to do I don't know what is it's written by a man called John Ward of Hackney in the 18th century and I thought it might amuse you O oh Lord thou knowest that I have nine estates in the city of London and likewise that I have lately purchased one estate in fee simple in the county of Essex I beseech thee therefore to preserve the two counties of Essex and Middlesex from fire and earthquake and as I have a mortgage in Hertfordshire I beg thee likewise to have an eye of compassion on that county too and for the rest of the counties they mayest, thou mayest deal with them as thou art pleased O Lord, enable the bank to answer their bills and make all my debtors good men and give a prosperous voyage and return to the mermaid ship because I have insured it. And as thou hast said that the days of the wicked are but short, I trust in thee that thou wilt not forget thy promise as I have purchased an estate in reversion which will become mine on the death of that profligate young man, sir, blah, blah. There's something, isn't there, about... A lack of trust about a lack of understanding of who God is which Jesus goes on to pick up in Luke's gospel and in Matthew here in the the Lord's Prayer because all of this may lead us on to say that if God is talking to his disciples about not showboating about not putting on a face and an act but coming in vulnerability and coming in honesty to the secret place it speaks very deeply of God's understanding of who we are
as human beings and how easily we can present a face and lose that honesty. And Jesus has also spoken here about who God is. God doesn't need our many words. He doesn't need to be argued into submission. But a loving God knows what we need before we ask. The Gettysburg Address is 286 words and it's noted as a model of brevity. The greatest prayer that has been given to mankind is just 66 words. And in it, we have all that we need to frame our prayer to God. You may also like to know that the government requirements on the sale of cabbages have 26,911 words. I haven't read any of them. There are many, many very significant books and commentaries that have been written about the Lord's Prayer. Um, one of them written by the late Kenneth Stevenson, the previous Bishop of Portsmouth, but many others um, of great understanding and wisdom and theological depth. I don't intend to pick up on those this evening, not least because I don't have great theological depth or the understanding of a bishop. But it is helpful for us just to pick up some of the themes that may have been overlaid by familiarity. Jesus is giving us here a pattern for our prayer. It's not a superstition, as if the words themselves have particular magic, like an incantation. The first three petitions are to do with God and his glory. And all of our prayer, that's where we should always start. The second three petitions are about our needs and our necessities. Just to pick up a few points. Our Father I wonder if you've heard people say on occasion, well, faith is a very personal thing, isn't it? Well, yes and no. We certainly can't rely on other people's faith in place of our own. But you can see what Jesus has done immediately here with the first word of this prayer is to take the I out of it. Our Father. There is just one elder brother, and that's Jesus. But there's no hierarchy here. We are all drawn into the family of God. Our Father in heaven, how easy is it to have an earthbound God? 
a God who is limited in vision and in power, who needs everything explaining to him. And if we forget, then he may not answer our prayer. So we make sure we go through again and again every single point in detail. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, reverenced, revered. In the Old Testament it said, my ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. And God talks about his ways being higher than ours, higher than as the heavens are higher than the earth. It all speaks of trust. It speaks of trusting in a God who is not earthbound. Although Jesus came to earth to show us what God is like, God is not bound in his vision or his power. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is not a kingdom that you vote for on a ballot paper with your fingers firmly crossed, hoping that the binary decision before you that seems to hold one difficult choice against another, desperately hoping that the outcome won't be something like Boaty McBoatface. This is the kingdom of God's rule. And Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, there is submission to the will of God. There is submission to God's rule. And we need to ask ourselves, is God supreme in our lives? Give us this day our daily bread. How far ahead do we worry and fret? I may have shared with you before about the, um, the novice monk who didn't seem to be getting anywhere with his profession. And he went to see the novice master. And the novice master listened to him and um, spoke with him and said, well, I can't see what's going wrong. I don't know why it's not working for you. Maybe we should go to the prior. So they went to somebody more senior and they spoke to the prior. And the same thing happened. And eventually they went to speak with the abbot. And the abbot said, well, I, I can't really see what's, what's going on, why, why things aren't working for you. But, um, I mean, let's, you know, why don't I pray and you pray and we'll meet again in a week's time and see what God has said to us. And so that was decided upon and um, he left uh, the abbot's quarters and as he was walking out, the abbot heard a chinking sound in his robes, in his habit. And he said, oh, brother, what, what's that chinking sound? And he put his hand in his pocket and he pulled out two coins. And he said, oh, you, you mean these? And he said, what are they, brother? And he said, oh, that's, that's my pension, in case it doesn't work out. Where is our trust? Jesus didn't say, give us our monthly shopping. Fill the larder. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned 
against us. Sister Wendy Beckett says this. She said, we cannot receive God's forgiveness if we are too stubborn to forgive. Forgiveness, as it were, bounces off a hard heart. Making the effort to forgive another person opens us to receive forgiveness for ourselves. I thought it was interesting that she said making the effort to forgive. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Corrie ten Boom, the um, Dutch uh, Christian whose sister was killed in Ravensbrück camp um, under the Nazis and who found that when she was preaching um, one time after the war, one of the guards who had been um, one of their tormentors in Ravensbrook Prison came towards her holding his hand out and saying that he'd been saved and that God had forgiven him, but could she forgive him? And she said, I realized in that moment that forgiveness is not about emotion. Emotion may or may not come. It's an act of the will. And she held out her hand and she was able to forgive him. Lead us not into temptation, literally testing. God knows our frailty. And he will not allow us to be tested beyond what we can bear. But if there's no testing, then there's no strengthening. We test things because we want to to know their strength, their reliability. And deliver us from evil. How do we pray? What has Jesus brought out in what is effectively a masterclass for his disciples and in which we can share? Come to God as you are. No audience, no play acting, nobody to impress. So come alone. That's not to set aside, far from it, the importance of coming to God together. But come into the presence of God alone, in a place where you can be open and honest and truthful and vulnerable. And come to God as he is, not the God of the small print, not the God who is earthbound, Not the God whose vision is so limited and whose power is so small that he needs to be told every detail, needs to be arm-twisted, and needs to be helped every step of the way. Put God first in prayer and worship. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And in putting God first, then everything else falls into its right perspective. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, three things happened. First of all, their relationship with God was broken. 
and they hid. And Adam said, I hid because I was ashamed. The second thing was his relationship with others was damaged. It's all her fault. And thirdly, their relationship with the world. They were cast out of the garden, and God said, from now on the ground will bring forth thorns and thistles. But if we want to be healed, if we want salvation to renew us and to renew our relationships and to renew our world, we need to start where it was first broken, and that's with our relationship with God. Us coming as we are and who we are in the secret place to know God as he is and be transformed by that process. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer now. Our Father, a child in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.